The letter of Paul to the Philippians, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Happy Father's Day, guys. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. Also, we welcome those of you that are on YouTube Live right now and those that will be watching later on today and throughout this week, many of you out there. And so, it's a wonderful day. It's great to have you guys here. We're kicking off a brand new teaching series. We're gonna spend the summer in the book of Philippians. And the title of this series is Rejoice in the Lord Always. You guys are already getting it warmed up right over here, aren't you? Rejoice in the Lord always. And uh, study through Philippians. This weekend's message is titled Joy in Every Situation. And uh, so we started off by just reading you the salutation, the introduction to the book. And anytime you study a new book, there's several questions you ask. One is, who's the author? By the way, who's the author of this book? Anybody? Paul, the Apostle Paul. And who's the audience? The church in Philippi and, and also us and the many Christians throughout the, the years, throughout the centuries. And what's his agenda? His agenda is joy. And there's no better way to build a foundation for that joy than God's grace and peace towards us. So that's the intro. And so we are living in very crazy and confusing times that can certainly cause enormous fear and uncertainty. But even during this coronavirus pandemic, unemployment, struggling economy, racism, lawless mobs, fake and biased, biased news, political hatefulness, and a God-ignoring, sin-exalting society, there is an unspeakable and glorious joy in Christ that should be normal for every Christian. Regardless of what's going on around us, there is an unspeakable and glorious joy. I prefer to call it an indescribable and indestructible joy. It's indescribable because there are times in your life that you're just overwhelmed by the presence of God and his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore, 1611 of Psalms. So it's, it's almost indescribable at times and it's indestructible. Nothing can take that from you. And that's based on... Uh, 1 Peter 1.8, Peter is writing to second-generation uh, Christians, so to speak. He was a first-generation Christian because he was an eyewitness of Christ. And so he's writing to these second-generation Christians, and he's saying, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an indescribable, indestructible joy. He's just saying that like that's normal Christianity regardless of what we're going through. And so in Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, he not only personally demonstrates this joy, but also teaches us how we can have this joy in every situation of life. 
It's an it's a absolutely beautiful book. It's one of my favorite books, and it's one of my favorite topics. Uh, my various favorite topics are the glory of God and our joy in Him and His presence in our lives. I love all of those, those topics, and this book is all about all three of those, especially the joy that we have in Christ Jesus. And so it is a joy that all the success in this world can't give you. I don't care what you've accomplished or achieved. You might have had a certain level of joy, but it does not compare to the joy that we have in Christ. So it is a joy that all the success in this world can't give you. And listen to me, all the suffering in this world can't take from you. It can't take this joy away from you. And so it's important to understand the situation that Paul is in as he's writing this book of joy. Anybody familiar with where he is? Where is Paul currently while he's writing this? He's in prison, Roman prison. He's, he's chained to a Praetorian guard 24-7. They thought he was so dangerous that they needed to have a, a Praetorian guard chained to him. And he's on, he's, got, he's on trial for preaching the gospel, and he may lose his life. And yet this book is filled filled with joy. And, and so, take a look at your sermon notes there. The key verse to this teaching, and this is a bit of an overview of this whole series. We're going to look at all four of the chapters, but uh, the key verse is Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That's where we got our title. Why would Paul repeat himself there? Because we have a hard time doing that. You rejoice in the Lord always. Again, Come on, again I say rejoice, because this is an area of struggle for all of us. And so, joy defined, here's our working definition, it's there on your notes. It is a buoyancy based on the pleasures found in the eternal privileges I have in God. So how many would agree with me that life could push you down? Show of hands. Yeah, they can push you down, but it won't keep you down because the buoyancy that we have in the eternal, the pleasures we find in the eternal privileges that are ours in Christ Jesus, and they're innumerable. Two that come to mind for me is the first eternal pleasure is that he has reconciled us to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the greatest gift that, that uh, he could do for you, the greatest thing he could do for you, but the greatest gift that he could give to you is himself is that we would know him. That's part of those eternal uh, pleasure, uh, eternal privileges to where we find great pleasure in. And so it's a buoyancy based on the pleasures found in the eternal privileges I have in God. The opposite of joy is not sorrow. It's hopelessness and despair. So it tells us in 2 Corinthians 6.10 that we are sorrowful yet always rejoicing so it's not sequential, it's simultaneous, that we're, even in the midst of our sorrow, when, our, when we're taking a beating in life, we can have hope, we can have this joy. And, and so we, we're going to be sad over the condition of our world, and yet in that sadness, we have hope and we have joy in Christ Jesus. What is the counterfeit? Because sometimes people will say, well, I've got joy. And then if you look a little closer, you'll realize, no, that's a counterfeit. And the counterfeit is the happiness based on the gifts over the gift giver. And uh, happiness based on the gifts over the gift giver. Another way you can look at this is that happiness is found in happenings, people, things, and circumstances. Joy is found 
in Jesus. Now, not to say that you're not going to be happy with this joy, but your, your, your happiness is not going to go away just because of the people, things, and circumstances of your life. You're going to still have that happiness, that joy in Christ Jesus. And so here's, a, here's another way I like to look at this joy and understand this joy. This joy is a deep, durable delight in the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done for you that ruins you for anything else. Game over. When you experience his joy, when you know his joy, when you walk in his joy, game over. Nothing even comes close. It's it's a phenomenal joy that he gives us. And so, in these four chapters, and this is... uh, as I've walked through this, this is what I've understood, that, that the joy, the word joy, rejoicing, or gladness is used 19 times. So anytime an author uses a particular word a number of times, he's, he's obviously trying to get a point across. And so joy, rejoicing, and gladness is used 19 times. So where do we find joy? We find joy in Jesus. How many times does he use the name Jesus? 39 times in these four chapters, and in fact, 17 times in the first chapter. Okay, okay, so how do we connect with Jesus so that we can have this joy? Well, he uses another word a number of times, and that is mind, think, and remember. It's used 16 times. So he's talking about our mindset, our mindset. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Heart means mind, emotion, will. It also means your treasure, the things that you value most. And so he says, you better guard that because it determines the direction you're gonna go in life. And part of that is our mind. 2 Corinthians 10.5, it says, we are to take captive every thought and bring it into the obedience of Jesus Christ. You ever find yourself chasing down your thoughts and trying to bring them back in alignment with God's word? That's what he's talking about there. And, uh, and if we don't, we won't have that joy. We won't experience that joy. Philippians 4.8 says, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Think about these things. Let these things dominate your thoughts, stir your deepest emotions, move you to action. And then Romans 12.2, it says, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The renewal of your mind. Another way that you could say that is that don't let the people, things, and circumstances get the best of you and be overcome by anxiety, anger, and depression. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Have a biblical worldview. Understand that God is for you and not against you. Understand that there is a joy in him that cannot be found anyplace else. And so, Viktor Frankl, a Jewish doctor who survived the death camps during World War II, wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And he wrote that the death camps were horrible places, suffering was imminent, and death was everywhere. He lost his father, his mother, his brother, and his wife. They all died either in the ovens or the camps themselves. He, saw, he noticed that people responded to it in one of three ways. One, first one was that some people got bad. They lost all principles. 
They did anything to survive. They betrayed and exploited one another. They were informers for the Nazis. Another group of people just gave up. They withered. Sometimes they, they actually literally laid down, curled up in a ball, and died. They became despondent. But there was a third group that became quite heroic. Some people had courage, had courage, made sacrifices, were really fearless. And so Dr. Viktor Frankl said, what made the difference was a person's meaning in life. Your meaning in life must be able to endure the death camps, and that's what he was saying. If the death camp can take your meaning from you, then you'll be destroyed. And we could apply this to our circumstances. If the people, things, and circumstances can take your meaning, and with that meaning is the joy that we have in Christ, if all of that can take that meaning from you, you don't have a very solid biblical meaning and joy. And so your meaning in life comes from your worldview. And so as Christians, we are to have a biblical worldview. And we have amazing meaning, hope, and happiness in Christ Jesus. Part of that worldview answers the question of what is the purpose of life? And what are the problems that would impede that purpose? And then what, what's the solution to that? Now, everybody has some sort of meaning in life. It's either purposeful, they've, they've determined it on their, on their own, or it's by default. All you have to do is watch their life. And you'll see that they're living out some sort of meaning. You cannot live your life without some sort of meaning and purpose. Otherwise, you'll become despondent, depressed, and maybe even suicidal. And oftentimes when people are suicidal, it's because they've lost all meaning. And so your meaning in life comes from your worldview, and that determines your mindset. So it determines your pattern of thinking. Everyone here has a pattern of thinking. Everyone out there has a certain pattern of thinking, a way of, of evaluating life and looking at life. And so we all have this interpretive grid this pattern of thinking, this mindset. And so what we're going to look at here in this study as we survey these four chapters is the four killjoys. There are four killjoys, things that will kill our joys. And then we're going to look at the four mindsets that overcome these killjoys. And the reason why mindsets, once again, is that you, you are no better or no worse than the thoughts you entertain in your head. That's your mindset, that's your mindset. And so, as we survey uh, these four chapters, you're going to see where we're headed during these, these hot summer months and how we can have this joy that is offered to us through our Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's start with the four killjoys. Uh, here's your first fill-in-the-blank on your notes. Circumstances. Four killjoys. The first one is circumstances. Okay, let's do a mass confession here this morning. How many would agree with me that when circumstances are going your, your way, that you are much easier to live with? Show of hands. Okay. Yeah, I'm right there with you. My circumstances are going good. I'm a sweet person. And when they're not, okay. Um, I've got to work on that. And, and so the problem here is that most circumstances are out of our control. Did you know that? Like a lot of the mess that we find ourselves here with this pandemic and any number of things you could add to that. 
And so most circumstances are out of our control and if our joy is based on ideal circumstances, then we will be miserable and not easy to live with most of the time. But the second one here that uh, kills our joy is people. Oh yes, (laughs) people. All of us have lost our joy because of who people are, what they've said, what they've done. Show of hands, how many? Have you experienced that? Don't point them out in here. Okay, some of you were pointing. And so, uh, and at the same time, all of us have contributed to someone's loss of joy. Yes, sweet little you. You've been the cause of someone losing their joy. I know it's hard to believe, but every one of us have. Now, this idea of codependency, codependency is excessive emotional and psychological reliance on people. Let me say that again. Codependency is excessive emotional and psychological reliance on people. It's the sin of people-pleasing is what it is, and you're getting your sense of identity from the people and what they say about you rather than getting it from God. And so the more codependent you are, the more people will rattle you. So we've got to learn to detach from their opinions and their ideas. Certainly we can listen to them and learn some things from that, but our ultimate identity has to come from Christ. Our ultimate joy has to come from Christ. And so four killjoys, circumstances, people. Here's the third one, things. If you lay up treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, then your joy is going to be fragile. If you build it on the things of life, cars and homes and and possessions, your joy is going to be fragile based on how all of that is doing in your life, and it's temporary. Matthew 6.19 makes that clear. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, it says, but lay your treasures up in heaven. And that's why Jesus said in Luke 12.15, real life and real living does not consist in the abundance of the things that we possess. It's not in stuff, it's not in things. And I know that our our billion dollar industry of commercialism and consumerism and capitalism would have you believe otherwise, but that's not true. That's not true. And then the fourth killjoy is worry. So you got circumstances, people, things, worry. This is the worst killjoy of all. Worry is believing that God is going to get it wrong. We've talked about that in the past. Bitterness is believing that he did get it wrong. And it's, it's a failure to cast your burdens upon the Lord. Uh, Psalm 55, 22, it says, cast your cares, cast your burdens upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will not allow the righteous to be shaken. You don't have to be shaken and rattled by the people, things, and circumstances of your life. Cast your burdens upon the Lord. I like the language there. It's almost kind of a violent, kind of like, here, God, take it. And, and you gotta keep doing that and, and turning it over, over to him. Uh, my mom and I, we were talking this last week, and uh, we were talking about some, some problems that we were facing, and we've, we'd kind of felt like we had done everything we could uh, as far as our part in this and in, 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 in a particular relationship. And my mom said something all of a sudden that just uh, it, it landed on me. It was really helpful for me. She said, 
So we've done what we can. That's God's problem. He's going to have to take care of this situation. She's just basically saying, we've got to turn it over to God. We've got to cast our cares upon God because he cares for us. How many are familiar with the serenity prayer? You guys know what I'm talking about? Lord, give me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. The wisdom, that's where our problem is. You know why we have worry? It's because we don't know the difference. We're trying to control things that are, not, that are out of our control. And so this is a failure. Worry is a failure to rest in the perfect love and infinite wisdom and unlimited power of God working for your good and his glory. He has your best interest at heart. He's going to take care of you. You don't need to stress out. You don't need to be worried. Okay. So four killjoys, circumstances, people, things, worry. Four mindsets that overcome these killjoys. I got this from Warren Wiersbe a number of years ago. I read a little book by, by him on Philippians. It was titled Be Joyful. It was really quite helpful. So I want to share this with you guys. Here's the first mindset. Well, let me walk you through all the mindsets and then we'll go with the first one. So we need to have a single mindset, a servant mindset, a spiritual mindset, and a secure mindset. Let's start with the single mindset. That's your next fill in the blank. Single mindset, this is covered in chapter one. This is joy in spite of circumstances. Now, if you are upset by circumstances, it's because you don't have a single mindset. Paul shows us in the first chapter what that single mindset is. And maybe you've memorized this. It's an easy verse to memorize. To live is Christ, to die is gain. That's his meaning in life. That's a great purpose statement. And that should be a purpose statement for all believers. In Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. What does he mean by that? Well, he's basically saying, are you you kidding me? Christ is more desirable and more satisfying than anything that this world would offer and, and, and bigger and stronger than any pain or suffering we may face in this life. Christ is more desirable and satisfying than all that life can give or suffering and death can take from us. And then he says, to die is gain. What, is, what does he mean by that? More of Christ. That's it. More of Christ. If I die, oh well, I just get more of him. And he so satisfies me. I'm living for him. He's at the center of my life. Now, Paul's circumstances can't rob him of joy because he's not living to enjoy circumstances. He's living to enjoy Christ. And so he did not look at Christ through his circumstances. Rather, he looked at his circumstances through Christ. And that's what we need to ask ourselves when we're facing hard circumstances and difficulties, we need to ask ourselves, how am I viewing this? What is my mindset as it relates to this? Now, you'll see the subpoints here. Each of the subpoints under each of these four mindsets are going to give you the titles of the teachings that we're going to do throughout the summer months. It's going to take us throughout the summer. And so here's the first three. How did Paul find joy in loneliness? That's your next fill in the blank. Verses 1 through 11 He found joy in loneliness. Would he be lonely in prison? Yeah, absolutely. And yet he found joy in loneliness because of the fellowship of the gospel. We're going to talk about that next weekend. That he had a deep, 
affection and connection to the church in Philippi, even though he hadn't been there in 10 years. And yet there was a connection, a deep connection he had with them. And uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that. How did Paul find joy in frustration? Paul was a preacher. He's an apostle. He wanted to get out there and get the message out, and now he's chained to a praetorian guard in a Roman prison. And Paul is basically saying, you know what? I may be chained, but the gospel can never be chained. And wherever I go through the providential hand of God, I'm going to proclaim the gospel. And in fact, I mean... uh, he, he had a, a, a guard chained to him, and so he had to have been preaching the gospel to that guard, which there's reason to believe, based on Scripture, that the gospel began to take hold of many of those praetorian guards and in that Roman uh, government world. It's pretty powerful, but, but it was through the furtherance of the gospel. That's how he was able to get through the frustration of the, uh, what he was going on. He was just saying, hey, whatever, bring it on. No matter where I go, I'm going to make it about Jesus. I'm going to live for him. And how did uh, Paul find joy in suffering? It was the faith of the gospel. That's verses 27 through 30. So joy in loneliness, verses 1 through 11. That's chapter 1. Joy in frustration, verses 12 through 26. And then joy and suffering, verses 27 through 30. That's that first chapter. And so he found joy and suffering through the faith, the, the faith of the gospel. He had an intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The essence of faith is being satisfied with all that God is for us in Christ Jesus. And it's having an intimate relationship with God. It's knowing Christ. It's experiencing him. And that brought joy to him even in suffering. So when you have a single mindset, your circumstances work for you, not against you. And now we come to the next one, the servant mindset. That's chapter two, joy in spite of people. Key verse here is Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Selfish ambition, it means self-promotion, promoting yourself or conceit. King James Version uses the word vain glory uh, for conceit. But notice what he says. Here's the cure to that, that problem. Here's the solution. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Oftentimes when I've had conflict with others or I've tried to help people work through their conflict issues, pride always plays a big role in that. There's a lot of pride in people's lives and it creates more more of this conflict. They do not have a servant mindset. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. So in chapter one, Paul puts Christ first and then in chapter two, he puts others second. I mean, it's a great example of the Great Commission or the Great Commandment, actually. The Great Commandment says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, and and Paul is demonstrating that in these first two chapters. And so pride says, my needs before yours. And it creates all sorts of disharmony in our relationships. And it's based on this idea of selfish ambition, uh, promoting ourselves and conceit, or vain glory. And I love that word, vain glory. Vain glory means empty. Vain means empty, empty of glory. Now, why would we be empty of glory? Well, we were meant to walk in the garden in the cool of the day and to look into the face of our maker and to receive all of his glory. 
to understand him and know him and to have our hearts filled up and satisfied with all that he is. And yet, we thought we were smarter than him. We rebelled against him. We turned away from him. We thought we could find it something better in this world. So we turned away from him, and that spiritual alienation from the living God created a psychological alienation within us. We become conceited. We become self-promoting because there's an emptiness inside that only God can fill. And so we immediately go into relationships with this, with this kind of self-centeredness, trying to fill the void within us. And that creates all sorts of conflict. And, and so self-centered people can never be satisfied. You can only be satisfied when you turn back to God and understand who you are in him and what he has for you. So pride says, my needs before yours. Humility says, your needs before mine. And that creates a culture of harmony, and it's because, because you are full of the glory of God. The gospel gives you a servant mindset because you already have everything you need in Christ. Why would I want to serve others and help others and be a bridge builder rather than a, a wedge driver in relationships? It's because I'm so filled up with the glory of God, I'm going to do whatever I can to bridge the gap, to help them to see Christ more clearly. And so, we can have joy in conflict. Here's your next fill in the blank. Next three titles that we'll be covering during this series. Joy in conflict. This is based on Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. We can have joy in conflict if we follow Christ's example. And so, there's a, in those first 11 verses are absolutely stunningly beautiful of our Savior, because it talks about how he came from heaven to earth, he became human, it's, it's the doctrine of the incarnation, but he didn't just become human, <clears throat> he became a servant, God of the galaxies. He emptied himself, not of his deity, but of his glory by becoming human and becoming a servant, and he wasn't just a servant, he died for you and I, in our place, for our sins. And he didn't die just any old death. He died on a cross, the most cruel death you could ever experience for you and I. Now, if he would go to those great measures to reconcile us back to God, that's why it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. See, that's that servant mindset. Our Savior had a servant mindset because he was about building bridges and drawing us into this relationship with the Father. So we can have joy in conflict when we follow Christ's example. We can have joy in stuck points. Uh, that's Philippians 2, 12 through 18. You know, we have a hard time sometimes. We can't get over the hurts or the habits or the hang-ups that we have in our life. How do we get through that? Well, Paul challenges them to work out their salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. And so, so in, in that, he even says, he says uh, towards the end of those verses, verses 12 through 18, even if I am poured out like a drink offering for you, he says, it doesn't matter, whatever may happen, I'm working for your joy in Christ. So he's, he's sacrificing his life to help them to take the gospel and work it out into every detail of their lives. And then the third, third thing here is we can find 
We can have joy in sacrifice. That's Philippians 2, 19 through 30. And he gives us the example of Timothy's love and Epaphroditus' risk. And uh, as you know, sacrifice is letting go of something that you love so that you can embrace something that you love more. And so you see sacrifice in not only in Paul's life, but in Timothy's love, but also Epaphroditus. How many are familiar with Epaphroditus in this letter? It's really quite interesting. So the church in Philippi sent Epaphroditus to Paul in that Roman prison with uh, a generous blessing financially and assistance and help and support and love and encouragement. And while Epaphroditus was uh, there with Paul, he got terribly sick and almost died and now he's healthy again and so Paul is sending Epaphroditus back to the church in Philippi and he's basically saying hey this dude's sacrificed his he risked his life for me and for you guys so that we could stay connected so he's a great great example of sacrifice so we got a single mindset joy in spite of circumstances servant mindset joy in spite of people and then now we have the spiritual mindset this is chapter 3 spiritual mindset that's your next fill in the blank joy in spite of things and the key verses are philippians 3:19 through 20 their end is destruction their god is their belly They glory in their shame, but note this, with minds set on earthly things. Now, he's making a contrast between unbelievers and believers. So he moves from unbelievers, their mind on earthly things, now to believers. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So so this is a spiritual mindset as opposed to an unspiritual mindset on, and your mind is captivated, it's set on earthly things. So unbelievers set their minds on earthly things and believers set their minds on heavenly things. And so this is how it works out in our life. And this is the big struggle in our life. Romans one twenty five makes it very clear that what we typically do, and it's part of our sinful nature, we're, we're sinners by nature and by choice, we exchange the truth of God for a lie, and we worship and serve created things more than the creator. We do that. That's, that's our sin. That's the essence of sin. We believe the lie about God. He can't satisfy me, so I'm going to find my satisfaction in a created thing. And how does that work its way out in our life? Well, Romans 8, 5 through 6 tells us. It says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. What's the flesh? Well, the flesh means to worship and serve created things over the creator. That's the flesh. And so for those who live according to the flesh set their minds, there's that mindset, they have a mindset that's on the flesh, on worshiping and serving created things. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. You worship and serve not created things, but the Creator. And then he goes on, it kind of helps us to understand this even more clearly, that if we take as we take one of these two paths that everybody is on, for to set the mind on the flesh is what? Anybody know? It's death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life 
and peace. So how do you set your mind on the Spirit? Here's your next couple fill-in-the-blanks here. You've got to really understand the joy in salvation. There is joy in our salvation. Philippians 3, 1 through 11, in there Paul says, I count everything as loss. Now what's fascinating about this, for him to say that, is that he had phenomenal, uh, very profound accolades and achievements and accomplishments, and he goes through the list of those things, and then after he lists all of this, he says, All of that is worthless compared to the priceless gain of knowing Jesus Christ. So he he understood the true value of of the things that we have in Christ. Remember the pleasures, the buoyancy? It's a buoyancy based on the pleasures we find in the eternal privileges. I mean, he knew the value of all of that. And it weighed so much heavier, it carried so much more glory than anything that he could accomplish or achieve or the accolades that he could receive from people around him. And so that's how we also experience this joy in our salvation. We've got to begin to see the infinite value of what we have in Christ. And then how do we, how do we set our mind on the Spirit? Joy in our salvation. How do we set our mind on the Spirit? Joy in perseverance. That's Philippians 3, 12 through 21. He says, I press on for the goal. He's basically saying, I go after it like it's hidden treasure. I understand the value of Christ, and I'm going after him like hidden treasure so that I can experience all that he is for me. And so the kingdom of God is a magnificent obsession with a heavenly treasure beside which everything else in life is of very little value. When you understand that, there's that sense of joy and amazement and and satisfaction that comes from that. And so, single mindset, joy in spite of circumstances, servant mindset, joy in spite of people, spiritual mindset, joy in spite of things, and now we come to the secure mindset, chapter four. Joy that defeats worry. And, and maybe these verses you've memorized, these are great memory verses, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. You guys familiar with it? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Make your request known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let's take those verses apart here a little bit. And uh, so do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. There is no reason you should be anxious. So take personal responsibility and make it God's problem. He's going to show us how to make things God's problem. Quit taking those problems on. Now listen to me. Regardless of what happens, there's no reason to be anxious. That's what he's saying. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious, regardless of what's going on around us. No matter how bad things get, don't be anxious. Do not be anxious, but in everything with prayer, everything, take everything to God in prayer. Prayer is that kind of general term for interaction, intimacy with God. But notice he says, with prayer and supplication. What is supplication? It's a part of prayer. It's where we bring our needs to God. So he's just saying, man... Have a prayer relationship with God, understand and have that intimacy, but within that, bring your problems to him. But he says, do that with thanksgiving. Now, why would he say that to do it with thanksgiving? Why would I be thanking him before he actually does anything for me? It's because he already has done a lot of things for us, but because of this, 
because you know that God will give to you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knew. You're trusting his providence, his providential care of your life. He loves you. He has your best interest at heart. And so you, you bring your request to him with thanksgiving. God, I know you're going to work. You're going to work through this. I give it over to you. You're going to take care of it. You're taking care of me. You love me. And so, God, here it is. And then he goes on and he says, if we do that, how do I know that I've actually done that? Well, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And uh, his peace... And so, so a secure mindset will give you, here's your next last three fill in the blanks. These are the titles that we'll be covering during this series. A secure mindset will give you joy in anxiety. That's based on Philippians 4, 1 through 9. How does that happen? God's peace and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now what does that mean beyond all understanding? It, it means that you're going to have such a peace even in chaotic times that people will look at you and not understand. How could you have peace? I would be stressed out. You're not stressed out, and, and that's beyond understanding. And, and also he says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That there's no people, things, or circumstances that can take that peace from you because your mind is guarded, your heart is guarded by that peace. And so joy, joy in anxiety because of God's peace, joy in discontentment, that's Philippians 4, 10 through 13. How is that? How can I have contentment in all circumstances? God's power. And, and so what does he say about God's power? Verse 13. Philippians 4.13. How many are familiar with uh, Philippians 4.13? Show of hands. Not very many of you. Okay, there's, there's a few of you. That's a great memory verse. Now, if I quote it, you'll probably say, oh, yeah, I know that one. It's, it's God is, uh, it's, I, let me see if I can quote it. My, no. I can do all things. Thank you. I was stumbling around there just for a moment. I was looking, I was thinking, I had other verses on my mind. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Praise God for that. What are you facing? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can face anything and have joy and peace in the midst of it. And so, a secure mindset will give you joy in discontentment, God's power. And then a secure mindset will give you joy in neediness. Philippians 4, 14 through 21 and that's through God's provision. And it's based on verse 19 of chapter 4. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. What are you stressing out over? God's going to take care of you. If you've lost your job, downturned economy, things aren't going well, listen, there's a promise right here. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So there is an unspeakable and glorious joy in Christ that should be normal for every Christian in every situation of life. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? So Father God, even in the midst of these crazy and confusing times, we are sorrowful yet always rejoicing because of the indescribable and indestructible joy in you that all the success in this world can't give us and all the suffering in this world can't take from us. We are so thankful for the buoyancy this joy gives us based on the eternal privileges 
that are ours by grace through faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross on our behalf. So Father, help us as we embark upon this new series during these hot summer months to develop a single mindset and a servant mindset and a spiritual mindset and a secure mindset that will fill us with joy in spite of circumstances, people, things, or worry. All for your glory in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said... Amen. Love you guys. God bless you.